morning, church family. What a day. What a day. I uh, am so grateful to be here. Um, Susan and I took the kids down to Orlando just in time for Hurricane Nicole to come that way. So it was a fun trip, a shorter trip than we had planned. But we're grateful to be back in the Lord's house. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's say it again together. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, if uh, we look back over last week when we did our baptismal service, was that amazing or what? I mean, I was just so blessed. We were filled with such joy to see uh, eight new people enter into our fellowship. And I have to share with you that Immediately after that service, a young lady come, came forward and she uh, told me, she said, I'm next. I'm next. So we already have another baptismal candidate waiting in the wings, and so we'll schedule that service soon. Taking us back, uh, back in August, we, uh, it was all about faith. It was all about faith. Um, it was a time for faith. And then in September, it was a time for hope. A time for hope. And then last month, October, it was a time for harvest. A time for our harvest. And then this month, it's all about Thanksgiving. And we have so much to be thankful for, do we not? Uh, so much to be thankful for. Um, first of all, we're thankful because on Friday, uh, it was November 11th, and it was Veterans Day. And if you notice, we have the flag in our sanctuary today to be an honorarium to all of those veterans who have served in the military defending and protecting our country over the years. So I want to just take this opportunity, if you are a veteran of the United States military, will you please stand and let us recognize you today. So grateful for all of you and the service that you provided to our country. If you're currently in the military and uh, you're here this morning, I want you to also stand. Or if you know somebody in the military, how about that? Let's all stand. It's a special day for us to recognize our veterans and those serving in the military. There's another reason to be thankful, and that is that one of our own, uh, Judy Fox, who actually gave the prayer here this morning, she is on her way to a mission trip halfway around the world to Burkina Faso, and she leaves tomorrow. And uh, she is going over there with a group to equip church leaders to share the gospel in a very dark part of our world. And so if, uh, if you remember Judy this week, please lift her up in your prayers as she goes on a mission trip uh, this uh, next couple of weeks. In addition to that, we have our own missionaries. Many of you don't know this, but are on mission for God, and they are from our church. They are Sarah and daughter, and we just want to embrace them. So we're grateful for missionaries, Judy. We're grateful for all of our missionaries. The Southern Baptist Convention is very keen, the International Mission Board is very keen to bringing the gospel to the farthest reaches of our earth. 
and that is the mission of Jesus Christ. And so I'm grateful for our missionaries. Thank you, Judy. Um, and then I'm also thankful. I'm also thankful for Operation Christmas Child. Um, it is wonderful that Karen and Cindy have put together such a group. And, you know, in a very short time, we have collected, are you ready? 227 Operation Christmas Child packages. And I am being told, here's the note, so I have to read it carefully. Please remember that just because we are through packing, we still need to be praying that the recipients of these packages come into a relationship with the indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? So I'm grateful for that. And I'm also grateful for the Bread of Life ministry that we have. You see here up on the table, our flower committee did such a beautiful job. All the baskets on the side, we have baskets outside. The Bread of Life ministry pantry is at Charleston Baptist Church. We cooperate as one of those churches. They depend on us for our gift of non-perishable goods to feed the hungry. One can of rice, one can of beans may not seem like a lot to you. But for those even in our city, they may go hungry for days. And that one can of rice or that one can of beans will mean the world to them. It is our way to tangibly demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage all of us to give to the Bread of Life pantry as well. So this tees us up, actually. All of this Thanksgiving tees us up for our message this morning. And I want to invite us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you're turning in your Bible to that passage, I want to tell you that I witnessed it. I witnessed it. Many years ago, I was sitting right over there about midway back in one of those pews, and I saw a guy come in at the beginning of the service, a single man about my age, mid to late 20s, and he came in and he filed in and he sat right next to me. And we had our introductions and then of course the service began. And I'll never forget when it came time for the offering, the offering plates were being passed around by the deacons, and I'll never forget that I witnessed him bow his head in prayer. And I could tell that he was in earnest in his prayer. And then in, in the next moment, he reached into his back pocket and he pulled out his wallet. And I watched this. I witnessed it. I noticed that he had $17 in his wallet. A, a 10, a 5, and two ones. And I'll never forget as he, his head was still bowed, the offering plate came down the row and he took all $17 and he dropped it into the offering plate. I witnessed it. And so think about how that story ends because I'm not going to tell you about it until the end of this message this morning. But in this passage, we see the Apostle Paul appealing to the church at Corinth to give, to give sacrificially for the church 
in Jerusalem who had been suffering heavy persecution and was in poverty because of some famine as well as some other persecution. And so Paul writes to this dearly beloved church, Corinth, in his second letter, and these are the words that he uh, states in his letter. So if you can and are able, please stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. God's word reads this way, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for, their, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that it penetrates our hearts, helps us to understand that you have provided us the greatest gift we could ever imagine. Father, thank you for that gift. And I pray that it compels us and propels us into a lifetime of generosity to those around us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin at the end of this passage in verse 15, if it's okay with you. Typically we go kind of in order, but I think Paul is building to a crescendo statement in this passage. The crescendo statement is that final verse, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, what is this gift and why is it indescribable? What is this gift and why is it indescribable? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, just one chapter prior, we read these words, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's interesting that Jesus here is being described as the one who has given it all so that we might be rich. We see this demonstrated on the cross. When he paid it all, he paid the penalty of our sin. He gave all. He gave himself. 
as an atoning sacrifice for the church, for everyone who believes on him. First to the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power unto salvation. We find this salvation in no other name that is given under heaven by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only means of salvation. The world would have you to believe that there are many ways to heaven, that there are many ways to God, that there are many ways to having a full life. But the scripture is very clear. The scripture is unwavering. The scripture is very direct. It says there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. He is this indescribable gift. We get another little marker about who this indescribable gift in chapter 10, verse 1. I just read chapter 15 of chapter 9, verse 15 of chapter 9, but sometimes it's important to look past these markers or these chapters because for those who don't know this, the Bible in its original form was never, it never included chapters and verses, nor did it include any of the headings over the various passages in the Bible. Verses and chapters and headings were added later to assist the reader in homing in on key themes or key elements of the scripture. But when Paul wrote this letter, it was just one letter straight through. And so sometimes while these headings help us, they can also hinder us from truth. And so I want us to see here that Paul actually answers his own question when he says in verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 10, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. He's identifying that indescribable gift as Jesus Christ. But you know, the gift is not just Jesus Christ himself. It is what comes from Jesus Christ. In the scripture, in Ephesians chapter 2, we learn that there is a gift of salvation for all who believe. It says in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. The this, not of yourselves, is not referring to faith. It is actually referring to salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. We also learn in the scripture that a, the gift of the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we read these words, when the people were cut to the heart, Peter was giving his sermon on the day of Pentecost, and the people were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and God will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized, and the gift of the Holy Spirit will be given to you. Furthermore, the gift is referred to as eternal life, another outpouring of being in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, it says these words, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In every aspect of this, we see that Jesus is this indescribable gift, and we also see that from this indescribable gift flow the blessings of being in Him, in Christ. 
salvation, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. We have hope in this room and around the world if you are part of Jesus Christ because you have eternal life in your future, you have the Holy Spirit in the presence, and you have, in fact, salvation in your past. It is the great way in which we all can move into this new realm of living in Christ because we have this hope. So the gift of Jesus Christ is manifested those three ways. We also notice that God is the initiator in each and every case, and we are the responder. The Bible says very clearly that we love because he first, what? Loved us. We love because he first loved us. So the gift is Jesus Christ. But why is he indescribable? In one of his famous sermons called That's My King, Dr. S.M. Lockeridge would utter some fascinating words describing the titles and the names and the blessings and the promises that we find in Jesus Christ. You can YouTube it, uh, but I will tell you, it is one of the most powerful YouTube videos you'll ever watch. It's called, That's My King by Dr. Lockeridge. And he even asks in that video, he says, I wish I could describe him for you. I wish I could describe him for you. He is incomprehensible. He is invincible. And he goes on. Well, I did my own survey of the Bible, and the Bible is fraught with titles and names of Jesus Christ. I will share some of them with you as a reminder to all of us as to why we came here this morning to worship him. He is the creator. He is the Messiah. He is the redeemer. He is the savior. He is Lord. He is the Word of God. He is the bread of life. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the head of the church. He is the open door. He is the good shepherd. He is the light of the world. He is the true vine. He is the uh, last Adam. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the bright morning star. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus as Lord because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ that we worship. This is why we're here. We worship him because there are so many ways to describe Jesus that we actually come to the point where we say there are no words to describe his love for his church. So that's the indescribable gift. But now how do we respond to it? Let's look at it. Paul really drives home these responses in verses 6 through 14. The first response, you can see it, is to sow God's blessings generously. We are to sow God's blessings generously. In verse 6, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is a principle. The fact of the matter is, is that we all have many blessings in our lives. 
In verse 11, he kind of concludes this section by saying, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. How do we thank God? By being generous with all of the blessings God has given to us. We are taught in this passage to give generously, but also to give cheerfully. Look at what it says there in verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> I looked up what cheerful meant in the original Greek. Do you know what the original Greek word for cheerful is? Hilaro. Hilaro. What English word do you think we get from that Greek word, hilaro? Hilarious. We are to give hilariously. As if the world is looking at us going, what is wrong with these people? They give and they give and they give and they give. But we see that our example in everything is Jesus Christ. He gave all. Throughout his earthly ministry, he met people's physical needs. He fed the hungry. He gave water to the thirsty. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He met the physical needs of every person he encountered because that gave him a door to their real need, their greatest need, the need that they could do nothing about. And that was their spiritual need, their spiritual poverty before a holy God. And so here we see Jesus as this one who gave generously of himself. What we're really talking about is stewardship. Do you realize that every single person on the planet has the same amount of time every single day? Every one of us has 24 hours. How are you spending those 24 hours? Every one of us has abilities and talents that are innate. Every one of us. God has given us certain talents and abilities. My wife is an artist. She paints beautiful paintings. I could never do that. I don't have that talent, you see. But God has gifted me in other ways. In the same way, you have talent. You have words that you need to say that the world needs to hear. You have actions that you should take because then the world can watch those actions and they can give glory to God. The Bible in Matthew chapter 5 tells us, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is what we are to do. We are to be a light. This is how, spread it out. Let the world see it. Don't bottle it up and put it on the shelves. Take your charm. You have great charm. Use it for the glory of God. You have great ability. Use it for the glory of God. You have talents that nobody else has. There are words and songs that will never be sung unless you write it. There are words that you can write in a book that nobody else will write unless you write it. There's a way in which we, the church, can have an influence on the world around us because we are giving that which God has blessed us with. That is the currency of our ability. So we talk about time, how do we spend it? We talk about our abilities, how do we use them? And then there's currency. You know, our, our, our means of currency or money, our resources. 
We're very blessed, many of us. The question is, are we blessing the world with the resources that God has provided to us? This is a very generous church. I want, to I want you to hear me say that. We have an extremely generous church. This is not an appeal for you to make you feel bad to give because God loves a cheerful giver. But I will tell you this, Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And if he said it's more blessed to give than to receive, I say we test him. Just like Larry read earlier in Malachi chapter 3, God said, test me in this. No other time in scripture did God say, test me in this. He said, bring all your tithes into the storehouse and see if I will not pour open a blessing so great you cannot even contain yourself. You see, this is what God wants to do. The principle of stewardship starts with this very fact. Everything is from God. Everything is God's. It's not ours. We're stewards. That's it. You know, we're, we're talking in the uh, news cycles these years about climate change and all of that uh, and how we need to be good stewards of the earth and the resources, and we do. But this is not something new. It's come on the scene here in the last 20, 30 years, but I remember back in Genesis chapter 2, God told Adam and Eve, I am making you in charge of tending this garden, of caring for this garden, of subduing the earth. So God was the original conservationist. He was the one who gave us the idea of being good stewards. You see, the principle of sowing is so powerful that it multiplies. Remember what Jesus told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and what? Multiply. Why? Because that's the economy of God. When you plant a single acorn in the ground, you get what? A mighty oak tree that then drops acorns all over your property, correct? And all over my driveway. We have a beautiful, we just moved into a new home. We, we have a beautiful oak tree on the side of our property. But my, I have been out every day with the blower blowing off acorns off of my driveway. You know, many of you say, well, that's really, that, why do you need to do that, Randy? Well, you don't know me then because I'm type A. I can't have anything on my driveway. It stains the driveway when it rains. But that's way too much about me. <laughs> but the idea is, the principle is that you plant one acorn and you get thousands. You plant a single kernel of corn and what happens? You get stalks, ears and stalks and cobs that come up. One kernel of corn will result in almost at least 2,800 other kernels of corn. That is the economy of God. When you plant love into another person's life, it will manifest itself into many other forms of love that are passed on. When you plant peace into the life of those around you and a good word. When's the last time you went through a drive through and said, I want to Ask God to bless you today. I promise you that will make an impact on that person. Let's sow seeds of love. Let's sow seeds of grace. Let's sow seeds of mercy. The world looks at the church and says we're judgmental. Let's change that, folks. We can do it. We can do it together. One day at a time, each one of us can offer an encouraging word to those around us. Giving, giving. It's the only proof that you have conquered greed. 
Giving is the only proof that you have conquered greed. It is a tangible way of demonstrating what you claim in your heart to believe. The things happening in your life today are the result of what you have sown a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. Now let's think about it forward. What will happen in the future will be determined by what you sow into your life today. If you want to change your future, then you need to change what you are sowing today. Let us sow great seeds. We just shared how much this church is sowing good seed to the world. We are giving so many people an opportunity to have a Christmas like they've never had. We are helping to feed the hungry. You know, it's sad that the church has relegated the feeding to the hungry to the government. That's the church's job. You know, the American Red Cross gives blood to the world, gives life to the world. Christians are some of the most generous people in the world. If it weren't for Christian nations like America, the world would really be in trouble. But we give, and we give because we understand this principle that, first of all, it's not ours, and second of all, when we do give it, it's not because we get a receipt and blessing, but it's because we know it is what God has already done for us. And that is why we give. We sow seeds of love. We sow seeds of peace. We sow seeds of grace and mercy. But then there's a second response that Paul gives us, and we are to serve God's church faithfully. We not only sow God's blessings generously, but we serve the church faithfully. In verse 12 it says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Isn't that powerful? Many expressions of thanks to God, the bread of life ministry is available to all of us. We can all give, and what will happen? It will result in blessings from God through us to people who need it. The idea here is that all of us need to represent God in this world. We are God's representatives. Think about it this way. Wherever you go, do they know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? How soon will you let them know that you are a child of God? You see, we want to compartmentalize our lives. But God says that you are mine no matter where you are. You are mine when you lay down and when you get up. You are mine when you walk along the highway or when you come home. You are mine when you go to the neighbor's house or go across the street to a friend's house, or when you go to work, or when you go to your child's softball practice, you are mine, you see. And so God has his imprint on you. God wants to be, for you to be used by him, you see. And that's how the church is designed to be. We don't come here to worship and try to attract the world to come in to be a part of our worship experience. We understand why we worship. We understand that. You know, the simplest way to define worship is this. It is the sense and service of God. The sense and service to God. 
Now think about it from this perspective. Notice what it says there in verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You see, if you sense God without serving him, it's a mockery. If you sense God without serving him, it's a mockery. If you serve God without sensing him, it's a drudgery. You ever heard of burnout in churches? When people get burned out, 20% of the people are doing all of the work. It's called getting burned out. But when you come to a right relationship with God, you sense him in your life. Not just in this time of worship, but you sense him every single place you go. When's the last time you looked around and saw the beauty of God's creation? When's the last time you walked down the street and asked yourself the question, you know, those people that live in that house, where are they in relationship to God? They are created in his image. They have a conscience. I wonder where they are. Should I leave this street without first finding out how to bridge that gap and share a way of loving them right where they are? You see, that's what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he met the needs, the physical needs of people. And when we, as the church, we're an army. We're an army. It's a military term the Bible uses. We are on the offensive. Our job is to not attract people to come into here. No, no, no. When they do, we want to love them, welcome them, let them see that we love one another because Jesus does say, the world will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. But what God really is calling us to do throughout all of Scripture is that we are on a mission. We're on a mission. We are out there in the world. We are not of the world, but we are in the world, and we are influencing the world by loving them the way Jesus Christ loved them, by having compassion on them, by sharing an uplifting word with them. Does that make sense to you? This is what the gospel calls for us to do. We are to serve God's church, and the overflow of abundant thanksgiving comes out of that. You know, see, it's, it's a cycle. It really is. It's a giving cycle. Once we understand what Christ has done for us, we are compelled. We are compelled to go and do for him. We want to share. It's, it's like we have this greatest gift. What child in your household doesn't want to show you the gift they just got for Christmas? They're so happy. They're so excited. They're overjoyed. They want to share the gift, and that is what the Bible teaches us. Paul was compelled to share the gospel because it was an evidence of the greatest gift that God could ever give in his, in his son Jesus. And so secondly, we are to serve God's church faithfully, but then thirdly, we are to share God's gospel boldly. Share God's gospel boldly. Look at what it says in verses 13 and 14. 
Because of the service, you notice the service in chapter, uh, verse 12, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, what does it say? Men will praise God. Men will not praise you, they will praise God. They will see that this is something that did not come from you, it came through you. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. You notice here, Paul proclaims earlier in this letter, he says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us. He always leads us in this triumphal procession of Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Amen. That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is not us having the right words. The gospel is us letting the actions of Jesus Christ flow through us so that the world is influenced. He says, uh, he goes on to say, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such task? Unlike so many, we do not, listen, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. How many do that today, sadly? We do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. This is Paul's heart. You know, Don Erke, uh, Irene, wrote an article many years ago and the question that she tried to answer was this, why can't I be open about my faith? Why can't I be open about my faith? She gave three reasons. Number one, some unbelievers seem okay without Jesus. Some unbelievers seem okay without Jesus. Now we know that that's a very temporal situation because at the end of their days, we know from the word of God that every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. But in this temporal life, in a time of plenty, in a time of somewhat prosperity, in a time of somewhat peace, sometimes it's easy to say, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. So you pray for them. Number two, I've turned people off in the past. Have you? I've turned people off in the past. I mean, honestly, this is part of the problem of the church. We have the truth, but the truth doesn't come with gentleness. It doesn't come with a heart that understands from whence we came. And so our job is to be, as Paul put to the Colossians, our, our talk, what we say needs to be seasoned with salt. What is salt? It's a preservative. You want to preserve the relationship. You want to preserve that relationship with that other person but we are to still share the gospel of Jesus Christ we have to know it we have to know what the gospel is and then thirdly she says I'm trying to please people more than God you know when we share the gospel sometimes we try to be really smart 
But can I share with you this morning that every single person in this room, every single person on streaming online, every single person has the ability, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, to share a good word on behalf of Jesus Christ. Don't relegate it to church leaders, so-called pastors, deacons. You are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Let him flow through you to the world around you. This is how the church will influence the culture around us. So why? Why do we share the gospel boldly? Because of the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. You see, God's gift, I talked about this little cycle, God's gift is given to us. It's an indescribable gift. God's gift propels us to give. And our giving provides for the physical needs of others, which then results in them thanking God, praising God, which then opens the door for us to then share the gospel which then leads them to their greatest spiritual need, the need of a Savior, who is Jesus Christ, who is himself this indescribable gift. Where are you on the cycle? Where are you? Have you come to a relationship with this indescribable gift? Today can be your day when you say, I want to come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of living a lie. I'm tired of just going through the motions. I want a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I want my life to count. I want to make a difference. The younger generation in our world wants to make a difference. They want to change this world. I love that heart. The best way to change the world is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. He is the one who saves. He is the one who is merciful and gracious beyond anything we can imagine. And so here Paul is telling us, introduce the world to this indescribable gift by sharing all of the blessings he has given to you with those around you. And they will respond with thanksgiving to God. And they will say, what is it that compels you to be so loving, to be so giving? It's so weird how you act toward me. You see, the world right now, the the recent polls are telling us that The world is becoming more and more rude to each other. Can't we be a little different? In Christ, we have to demonstrate the love and the peace and the thanksgiving and just a smile on our face. We're not in a drudgery and we're not here to mock God. We are here to be his representatives on this earth. And at the end of my days, I want God to tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. You let my light shine through you. There were were nothing but cracks in your life, but the greater the cracks, the greater the light shines. That's what God wants us to do. I, uh, I want us to remember the early church father, Polycarp, in closing. Polycarp was burned at the stake in the 200s AD for his faith in Jesus Christ. He was the bishop of Smyrna, the church there in the first and second centuries. Polycarp was sentenced to die by burning at the stake. 
And as they pronounced judgment upon Polycarp, this was his response when they told him, renounce this Jesus Christ and live. Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? As the, as the fire built and as Polycarp burned, he then uttered these words, I thank my God that I get to take the cup of the judgment of my Savior, Jesus Christ. He bore the greatest persecution that none of us in this room can relate to. But he gave all. And in the next moment after he died, he was in the presence of his Savior, Jesus Christ. That's you and me. That's you and me. There's my friend Mike sitting over there in that pew. Just dropped $17, all that he had in his offering plate that passed through. I'm still friends with Mike today. That afternoon, us singles would always go out to lunch. That's what we did. And I bought him lunch that day because I knew he had no money. Mike gave cheerfully, trusting God. You see, the problem was he had moved down to Charleston from Virginia. He had been here six months. He hadn't yet been able to sell his house up in Virginia. So he had a mortgage. Here's a guy in his mid to mid-20s. He had a mortgage, and now he's paying rent at an apartment complex right here in West Ashley. And in the process of six months, he had drained his entire bank account. And when he sat here on that Sunday in that pew, he had $17 to his name. He was eating popcorn every night for dinner. Now, you may call it a coincidence, but this is a true story. I got a call from Mike Monday afternoon. His real estate agent in Virginia called him Monday morning to tell him his house had just sold. Now, I don't know about you, but either that is an act of God or, or God himself is working in Mike's life so that he would have a testimony to share with others. You see, <laughs> Mike is perhaps one of the most generous people I've ever met. Later in life, he would have a child with a major disability. That's why he's a good friend of ours. The surgeries that they would have to pay for, for that little girl of his, would cost so much. But from the day that he passed that $17 into the offering plate, God had blessed him in a job that gave him the ability to take care of his own daughter. Where does it begin with you? Where does it begin with me? When we finally say, God, it's yours. It's all yours. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Use me. Here am I. All that I have, 
and all that I am is in your capable hands. Let us pray. Father, many of us sitting here today are, we have our own story. We have our own journey that we have been walking. And we recognize, Father, that we are really just in the potter's hand. Father, there are people in this room who are contemplating making this their church home. I pray, Lord, that you move in their hearts this morning, that they will respond and say, I want to be a part of this church, because this church participates in the generosity that we just preached about, giving bread and food to the hungry, sending missionaries around the world to share, sow seeds of the gospel, who are, who are consist of veterans who have given the ultimate sacrifice of service to our military, who are on mission for God around our community by, you know, committing our funds and our, our well-being to the community around us to love them, who are preaching from your word, not because we, we get money from it, but because we know it is the truth. Father, I pray that they will move today and join Ashley River. Father, there are some in this room this morning that really just need to recommit their lives to Jesus Christ, really get aligned with him. Lord, I pray that either in their pew or right up here at the front in the altar, they, they settle that with you. Father, if there's anybody who's here who just wants to be a part of any of our ministries, where we are really trying to share the love of Jesus Christ with the world around us. Lord, I pray, I pray that they will come and see me or see some other leader here today as we sing this song. But Lord, we commit it to you, and we pray all of this in the capable name of Jesus Christ, the indescribable gift of God. And all of God's children said, amen. Amen.